values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with the show, as always, as we roll through our Friday morning. Hope you got a great weekend planned as we get closer and closer to this election. But there are some things that I find humorous that people are losing their minds about. And that's often something I'm I'm captivated by. Um, I've been on Twitter for a long time. And I don't use it the way a lot of people do. I use it just strictly for interaction. I don't get my news from it, but I do get interaction with it. And I love it when people reach out, even when they disagree, sometimes especially when they disagree, um, if there is a civil conversation to be had. Now, there is a difference between a an uncivil conversation and a heated conversation. I don't mind when people are passionate. I like when people come at me. I do. I really enjoy it when it's a reasonable conversation with a point. If you're just um, – I, I think I told you. You. I got an email from someone and the entire email, the entirety of the email was you're an idiot. They didn't explain why it wasn't what to set that off. Just in general, you're an idiot. So if you're going to be that person, that, I have no interest. But if there's someone out there that is is angry or upset and they want to discuss it and they want to talk about it or they want answers or whatever, I love it. I love Twitter. It makes you convey a thought in a very short amount of characters. Um, it is a way to talk with people that you're never going to meet. Sometimes that's bad. You know, the, the keyboard warriors, anonymous people over there, I always say it's always Slappy682, the one that's got no picture and no real name that's the toughest online, and they usually have nothing useful to say. But there are a lot of genuinely concerned people out there that just disagree, that want to know why you think what you think. And I love those conversations, and that's what I use Twitter for. Um, I like the pats on the back. I like when people agree with with me as well, but the fun conversations are when you can come to some kind of a conclusion. Uh, there was a day on the air, and man, I, maybe I should I should have done that today. I'd do it today, but, but we're busy on the show. There was a day on the air we were talking about needs in in the community and, and intentional giving, which I talk about quite a bit. So I put a call out on Twitter, and I I tweeted myself, and I said, I'm giving money, and I chose at that time St. Mary's Food Bank. Here's the link to St. Mary's Food Bank. I'm donating 100 bucks. Um, I would love for some of you to join me in this. And I actually had three or four people reach out to me on Twitter and say, I don't agree with anything you talk about. I don't agree with your positions on issues, but this is something we can agree on. And they all showed pictures of them donating. That's the kind of stuff that I like social media for, people you'll probably never meet in person but you develop a rapport. The reason why I bring this up is Elon Musk has taken over Twitter. We know that social media platforms have been used to push one political agenda more than another and push one down more than the other. It, it's been – I don't think that there's any doubt in that, that what's considered hate speech has a lot to do with your political leanings more than hateful things people are saying. The fact-checking that turned out to be not factual, and I think part of it is, is growing. Um, I, I think um, it, it is people are evolving and understanding that what they were told was factual and what they believed was factual turned out not to be so factual and that they got to be more careful in who they're pushing down. And, and so Elon Musk takes over Twitter. And says, first of all, gets rid of the executive staff. You're gone, which uh, there's a lot of people that do that. I will tell you, um, like any other company, if the Arizona Cardinals were to replace their head coach, 
there is a very good chance that that head coach would bring in a brand new coaching staff. I've talked about being a Miami Hurricanes fan my, my whole life. I'm thrilled with the hire of Mario Cristobal as the head coach. They're not having a very good year right now. I think they're going to rebuild, but I think Coach Cristobal is an amazing coach. Going to bring in, a, for the most part, brand new people that know his system and do it the way he does it. There's nothing wrong with Elon Musk getting rid of his executive staff. He's going to lay off a bunch of people, um, massive layoffs, and they're fighting back. They filed a lawsuit, some law in California that says if there's going to be mass layoffs, you have to give people 30 days notice, and he didn't do that. And um, Why would you want to work for someone that doesn't want you to work for them? And why do you want to work for somebody you can't stand? But what I don't understand about this is now you've got all of these people that are saying, I'm leaving, I'm not going to stay on Twitter, the hateful things that are beginning to be said. And trust me, there are some despicable and disgusting things that are said on Twitter, but they always have been. It's just someone else's definition of hate speech. You know, um, what Kyrie Irving has been saying is is ignorant in my mind about what he's you know a, a tweeting about a, a, a documentary or whatever you want to call it that says the Holocaust never happened. The same thing that we're seeing Kanye West saying, people dissolving relationships and saying I don't want to be associated with that way of thinking. Everybody has a right to that. That's despicable things to say. Uh, there was uh, one of the one of the hosts on the View. She's compared Republican women voters uh, that would vote Republican. Suburban women voters that would vote Republican um, as it's like cockroaches voting for raid. So there was a bunch of women that were outraged. They were being compared to cockroaches. So what's the level of in your mind? What is the level that's an acceptable level before it becomes hate speech? Because I can make a case for both of those being hate speech. I think that anybody who comes from the place of ignorance as to deny the Holocaust is is to me it it isn't necessarily hateful although it feels hateful in my mind it's ignorance it's absolute ignorance to say that that did not happen um but when it's used when you know when kanye west there's no doubt you know he's going to go to war with the jews he's going to battle with the jews in business that's obviously that's a whole different level of how someone speaks but if you go on social media if you go on twitter it was it was it is a free for all for people to say hateful things about you, about me, about my political leanings, about anybody who would vote Republican, about how evil Republicans are. And and so I don't care. It shouldn't be taken down. I, they have a right to speak, but it should be a two way street. When you are seeing vaccine deniers, when people are saying, I'm not taking the vaccine, I'm not doing that or masks don't work or pushing hydroxychloroquine or pushing anything else that was um that was um, is thought of as an alternative to as a treatment, either was pushed completely down, their their accounts were blocked or suspended, or there was this huge fact check thing that went up there that said, you know, hang on a minute, this is untrue, and uh, what you're seeing here, and all these warnings that came out there. Um, and when you see people do that, it makes me laugh because there's a lot of things that ended up being unfactual that are perfectly fine to say. But in the interest there, in the interest of public safety, this one's got to be shot down. So now Elon Musk takes over. They actually fact-checked a tweet from the White House, and the White House took it down. I don't know if you saw this or not. 
But the White House basically tweeted out saying that there's going to be this huge increase in Social Security benefits to to recipients because of the leadership of President Biden. So Twitter fact check and said, "Um, actually, that is based on inflation and it's an automatic increase. And because of the huge increase in inflation, it means you're getting a big increase in benefits. It has nothing to do with the president himself. It's an automatic renewal. And that's basically what they did in fact check them to the point that the White House pulled that tweet down and said it was incomplete. So now you're seeing fact checking in the other direction and people are leaving. And all of a sudden, the guy that took us to space again, made us the leaders in the world in in space travel, the guy that all the people love the electric cars, the Teslas, they love the cars. All of a sudden, this guy has become a demon because he bought a social media company. And maybe it's my age that I use it for less than I, other people do, that there's going to be these changes you have to worry about. But the day that I'm worried about somebody that owns a company doing what he wants with that company, it's not the end of the world. But if you read what's in the media, you would think that this is going to change everything about everything. And I just don't agree with it. I just don't think it's true. In a moment, um, how does the unemployment rate go up when we've seen an increase in the number of jobs? What does this calculation that has got people confused? We'll talk about it coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, another reminder that during King LASIK's season of savings, LASIK for both eyes is now just $3,500. That is a $2,000 saving. When you couple that savings with 0% financing for 24 months on approved credit, LASIK with Dr. King is only $146 per month. Go to kinglasik.com slash Arizona for complete details. Uh, The economy is something that we are still talking quite a bit about. Uh, NASDAQ is down a bit today. Right now, as I'm looking at it on the on the monitors in the studio, um, and so we've got a mixed bag. It started out the day that we saw some really good things happening with the Dow because of the employment numbers. More jobs were added to the economy to the job market than was uh, expected. Right now, the Dow is only up about 56 points, and uh, it, it's backed off from where it was up over 400 earlier today. Um, the concern in the U.S. economy, and this is the conversation that we have, that I have with you while, while you're listening, or maybe you're yelling at the radio when we have the conversation when you're in your car, is about politics as it pertains to the economy. And I understand that that is a political conversation. Is the president responsible for inflation, gas prices, and the growing food prices and other things? Are Is he directly responsible? And the answer is both yes and no. Uh, I acknowledge that what's happening around the world, the war in Ukraine, is, is directly affecting food prices because so much of the world's wheat comes out of that region. I also acknowledge that the uh, the oil that comes from Russia, especially the heavier oil for heating oil and other things, comes out of that region of the world as well. But where this president is at fault and where I would say that the problems lie in the minds of other people has a lot to do with messaging. But there are some specifics that I want to lay out, even if you don't agree with me. I mentioned this yesterday and I thought about it a lot more yesterday throughout the day. It's interesting how American politics works because Bernie Sanders – 
who is a self-affirmed democratic socialist. I don't know the difference between a democratic socialist and a socialist is, but him and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez are socialists. And they believe, they honestly believe, that even though Venezuela can't get it right and other countries can't get it right when they go socialist and their economies suffer dramatically for it, that they have a formula that prosperity will continue in America for all Americans and fairness will happen for people if we just go to a socialist system. And they have no they, – they don't have a major country that works in that direction. And I'll get emails from people that talk about is it Switzerland or some nation that does it and gets along fine. OK, uh, but I digress back to the original point. Bernie Sanders believes that inflation isn't the problem, that it's corporate greed that is the problem. And I find it fascinating that for a group of people, because I lump the president in here, not as a socialist, but in this mindset that believes that confiscating massive amounts of wealth from anyone or organization isn't greedy, that it's necessary. I would say to you that it is greed at its worst. Because there isn't anyone yet that's taken me up on my question, and I would love for any of you to answer me. Feel free to find me on social media and answer the question for me. The president of the United States is floating the idea of a windfall tax on the oil companies, that if they don't cut their prices, thereby cutting their profits, that they are going to tax the oil companies and take those obscene profits from them. Someone explained to me. How that's going to cut prices for you? The answer is it will not. It's not going to cut prices for you. It is going to throw more money into the black hole of the federal government and the United States Treasury. That is my opinion. But I haven't heard anybody yet explain how it lowers prices. Because if you tax the oil companies anymore, it just increases prices. They will tack that on to the cost of doing business. Then you get into the world of, well, we need to control prices. We need to tell them how much profit they're allowed to have, which is basically what they're doing with the windfall tax. I encourage all of you, don't just take my word for it. It's my opinion being gospel. Go look at Venezuela. Go read about what happened to Venezuela over the last 20-something years when Hugo Chavez took over in Venezuela and the pathway to socialism that they went down. It is one of the most oil-rich nations in the world. It is. It was immensely wealthy and, and had a great economy. And what happened was fairness came in. They came in and said it's not fair that we have poor people in Venezuela and these filthy rich, obscenely rich, rich people. So what we're going to do is we are going to tell companies the minimum amount of money they have to pay you. We've got a living wage and we're going to cap their profits. We're going to tell them how much profit they're allowed to make. And if they don't comply, we're going to nationalize. We're going to take their businesses from them. And the economy crashed. Nobody's rich. They're all poor. There is a reason why Venezuelans are flooding across their border trying to get to the U.S. Isn't it interesting that if you look at the 115 countries that are represented at our southern border right now with the immigration issue we have, isn't it fascinating that Venezuelans and other socialist slash communist countries are represented in droves? And yet we have people high up in our government that either want outright socialism or are promoting socialist ideas. I'm not calling the president name. I'm not names. I'm not calling him a socialist. But the idea that you're going to say to an oil company, and this is the thought that's been going through my mind for the, since yesterday, is the president of the United States went and asked the Saudis, 
didn't demand, asked the UAE, asked um, OPEC, asked the Iranians, and asked the Venezuelans to up production. In the end, OPEC got together, and they've all decided, the OPEC nations, Saudi Arabia, and then the people of the Russians all got together and decided the right thing to do is to decrease production of oil by 2 million barrels per day, driving up the price of oil. The U.S. had no say in that. So you ask these other nations, you don't make demands, but you make demands of U.S. companies and you make threats. I just found that to be an interesting approach. So I do hold the White House accountable for a part of this battle and what's going on between oil companies. I don't have to defend them. There's no need to defend them. I'm questioning the policies of this administration. And we all have that right. In a moment um, – A story that says the U.S. is no longer the friendliest country in the world when it comes to migrants. We'll go over that headline and why people are saying it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show as always. Happy Friday. Um... A story written, it's an opinion piece written in the Washington Post. As an immigrant to the United States who has traveled a great deal around the world, I have always been certain that America was the best place for people like me, people who look different with brown skin and a strange name. I remember coming to America as a college student feeling the openness and generosity of a country born and made by immigrants. When visiting Britain around the same time, I could sense that I was treated politely, but not, but as an outsider. And now this story goes on to say that they believe that this is flipped, that Britain has been, is a lot more friendly to immigrants into that country. Uh, I, you know, again, this is an opinion piece and people, especially someone that's an immigrant, they are absolutely entitled to their opinion. And if it's true, if it's true that America's attitude toward immigrants are, is changing, then the reasoning that I've been giving could also be true. I've been talking about this lately, about America's love for immigration and, and our history of immigration. Um, the Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island has been a symbol of our great immigration and growth as a nation forever. It is just that is the sign in the beacon, beacon of freedom. Give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. And, uh, and it is um, something we've always been proud of. Years ago, we saw a, a thing turning about our borders and people in the country illegally and then a battle started. And I want to be very clear and fair with everyone. Originally, the border hawks were the Democrats. Bill Clinton, State of the Union address, demanding more money from Congress in a budget so that they could expedite the deportation of illegal aliens in this country. His words, that was the verbiage back then, but that's what Bill Clinton demanded. At the time, Senator Barack Obama, before he became president, said that Americans have every right to be angry that their jobs are being taken by people that are in this country illegally. It was the belief of the Democratic Party and the unions, the large labor unions in the United States, that illegal immigrants were coming here and working under the table and Republican business owners were paying them under the table and driving down wages for citizens and that jobs were being taken from Americans. That was the mantra of the Democratic Party. Again, I'm not making it up. Go and look it up. I think it was um, Diane Feinstein of California that called illegal immigrants leeches in California that they were uh, taking from the public system 
for public assistance, the welfare system. So we know that that was the mindset then. Now we see that the border hawks are conservatives and Republicans. And the Democrats are a lot closer to open borders or what would look like open borders than the other side of the aisle. What made that switch and why? It's an interesting study and comparison and question. But for the sake of what I'm talking about, Americans have always been open to immigration. Now, it's interesting. Here's been the argument. There are those of us that have seen and witnessed the swearing-in ceremonies, the naturalization ceremonies where people are sworn in as Americans. And it is a sense of pride. I will tell you myself that when I see it happen, when I know someone who has become a citizen in this country, it makes me proud that that person wanted to become an American. I think it is a great source. It is the biggest compliment that we get as a nation. I also believe it will be immigrants that save this country. And I don't think that all of them agree with me politically. But immigrants who have come from an oppressed system have a different perspective, whether it's economic or political or both, in where they've come from and what real oppression looks like. And they have a different picture of it than what we talk about in the U.S. And I think they're going to save the country. Here's where the problem lies. The disaster that is the U.S. southern border and the disaster that is the U.S. immigration system, the naturalization system, the immigration system, the asylum system, the system we have in place right now as it's being run is a complete and unmitigated disaster. And it is taken away from people's love of immigration. There's always been an argument on the other side. If you look back historically in the U.S., when a generation of immigrants are coming to this country, wherever they're coming from, they are seen as a drain on the system and the bane of our existence. Uh, I know I've mentioned these examples before, but one of the famous signs that uh, Sean Hannity, the talk radio host, one of the things that Hannity uh, has uh, is is, because he's an Irish Catholic. Irish Catholics need not apply. People just said, I don't want to. I don't want that to be like, you know, I'm not hiring you. No, they want nothing to do with you. So whether it was the Irish or the Germans or the Italians or whoever it is that have come to this country, come to our shores for whatever reason, they have been seen as a strain on the system by some. But ultimately, if you look through the history of our country in one generation, that mass Massive group of people have been contributors to the wealth and to the pro- uh, progress and to the industrialization and to the uh, technological advances in this country. And so Americans, by and large, understand that a robust immigration system in our country is an advantage to our country, but it's been damaged. And it's being damaged every day. When you hear stories about fentanyl crossing the border, and now I, I want to make a couple of acknowledgments. A lot of that fentanyl being brought across the border is being crossed the border at ports of entry and by people that are American citizens. It is still a border problem is my point. When the border is in the condition it's in and fentanyl is killing, the number one killer of young people in America is fentanyl overdoses. And we can't get it under control or we're not getting it under control. When we are seeing the millions of contacts that are being made, uh, the gotaways, the record number of people crossing our border that are on the terror watch list, Americans are having a different view of immigrants. What's sad about this is instead of us being a nation of refuge for people that are war-torn and oppressed and like we used to do with Cuba – um, where if because of their communist country, if they were to get to the U.S. soil, they were given asylum as a political refugee. Um, I would say that the issue for me is 
because we have tried to not be insulting and because everyone that crosses our border now is considered a migrant, not illegal migrant or undocumented migrant or they're just all called migrants, there is now a stain on immigration. And I think it's sad. I think it's dangerous. Ultimately, I think it's dangerous for the country because we should always remain – have a robust immigration system. But I feel bad for the legal immigrants to this country, the very good people that become very good Americans that are contributors to our way of life, that have enriched our way of life, that continue to do this on a daily basis and in many cases are more patriotic than Americans that were born here. That if we start to diminish our respect for them – and the true melting pot that we are when people bring their cultures with them and they they don't get rid of their culture. They immerse their culture in ours and it becomes a better community. If we get rid of that respect, I, I think we are going to see a different country. So I hope that this person's perspective is a short-lived perspective that they don't carry on the rest of their life feeling as if America isn't welcoming. But you also have to understand the reasons why, and I think we need to change them. We need to get control, effective control of our borders. We have to know who's coming and going. We can't see the scenes anymore of people flooding across and then demanding asylum in the years that it takes to get through the system. That system, that broken system is contributing to the lack of interest in immigration immigration or migrants at all in this country. I think it is doing a disservice to the immigrants that are coming here. And it's I believe it to be sad. It is very sad. A topic we talked about earlier and some good news for public schools in Arizona as a report card and grades come out. Some school districts in Arizona are now faring much better since the pandemic and the letter grades. We'll tell you who they are and how they did it coming up in just a few moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Some good news for Arizona schools and classrooms. The first letter grades have come out since the pandemic. They suspended the letter grades for 2021 and 2018-19 school years, but they are back now at school grades and letter grades, and a few districts have actually improved dramatically. The Buckeye School District have seen a great improvement with many of their schools that were rated D or F now. Now being graded A or B, which I think is fantastic. Um, the Peoria Unified School District, which uh, has serves the communities of Glendale, Peoria, Surprise, and Youngtown. Ten schools move up a letter grade. The district, the district now has 37 of their 42 elementary and high schools rated A or B. And in Dysart Unified School District, they doubled its number of A schools, A-graded schools from 2019. So these are really good improvements in Arizona schools, seeing if we can move in the right direction. Um, we still are dealing with a teacher shortage. I still think there is a, a big curriculum issue in schools in many places. And I think that what we ought to be doing, and I think this program – this voucher expansion program, the ESA program, which um, used to be called empowerment scholarship accounts. They now are being called education savings accounts where parents are able to take that money and use it as they see fit for their child is liberating for families. There are many, many families, I believe, that will say, I'm happy with the district school we're in. My child seems to be thriving. Um, I'm going to keep my child in the school that they are in right now because I believe in that school. I think they're doing a good job. But there will be some parents that will say it may not be a school issue you know um with uh you know i, I have two girls and one of them 
just blazed through high school pretty consistently and was they graduated and wasn't much of an issue with with grades or an issue with attendance or issue with comprehension and she got through school fairly easily you know all parents have issues but one of my other child was in a couple of different schools trying to find the right fit and she ended up going to one of the online schools where she ended up graduating early she went from being a student that struggled in the classroom and struggled with um, being able to get through the coursework to when she was kind of in this other setting of online school. She actually graduated early. And so it just was finding the right fit for her. And so sometimes it isn't a school issue. Sometimes it's not the school's fault. Sometimes it isn't bad curriculum or bad teachers or bad administration. Sometimes it's a fit issue. Some students learn in different ways. And every parent has to judge what's best for their kids. And like I said, many parents are going to say, I'm going to keep my child right where they are. Others are going to say, my child's going to be better in a charter school or when it comes to curriculum, I'm looking for a traditional school. I want to go to a school that doesn't have any focus whatsoever on anything other than the basics of education. I want to make sure my child can read and write, perform math skills. And so I'm going to have more of a hand in that. And they should be able to do that. The question about private schools and having now tax dollars go to private schools. Listen, there's a reason why wealthy people send their children to private schools. And when they fill up, they're full. Yes, they can handpick their student body. Yes, they can do those things. But giving a gifted child in a neighborhood that could never afford a private education, an opportunity at a private education is not just liberating, it's life-changing. And why not give that opportunity to working-class families where they can take those tax dollars? Homeschooling, micro-schools, charter schools, the options are out there for parents, and I don't understand why there's a segment of our society that's complaining and saying that we shouldn't have all of these options. Options are a wonderful thing. And now we're seeing improvement in the Arizona public schools. Congratulations. I think that is amazing. Is it directly related to ESA? No way. That happened too soon. But is it is it a change in how we're doing things? Is it more attention being paid to the basics because parents are demanding it? That's absolutely a fair thing to say. Allowing teachers to teach the subject matter that they are trained for without getting involved in one side of politics or another is what is liberating for everybody, including the school teachers. And this is something that kind of adds to that. I'm thrilled with the the summer camp program that helped kids get back on track. I'm glad they're doing it again next year. Now there's going to be more freedom in school choice. I think that's a good thing for Arizona students and parents. And I think we're going to start seeing a change in Arizona. And you watch if we have success in the expansion of school choice, like we were one of the leaders in charter schools and school choice up to now, but now we are the leader. When we see success in this area, and it actually makes our public schools fight harder and become better, leaner, meaner, and more focused, and we start seeing our test scores for our kids increase across the board in public schools and in these other settings, I think the nation's going to follow. I think we're going to see more of this everywhere when it's successful in Arizona. But as much as I am tough on schools when they are when our children are not getting the education they deserve, this is great news that we all should celebrate.
the school system in Arizona, it looks like we're seeing improvements in a lot of different areas. We all should be happy about that. We all should hope that the reality of this continues, that this is not just a one-off, that this is a trend, and that a, a year or two from now, we're all sitting around and saying, you know what, Arizona schools are on the right track. We can feel a lot more confident in the education we're giving our children to create critical thinkers. We're teaching them how to think. We're not teaching them what to think. That is what's liberating for an individual. Trust me, my mind has changed on many things over the years where I've come to decisions based on my life experience, but I can read and I can comprehend and carry on a conversation. And those tools were given to me by great teachers, and we just want more of that. We just want more of that. What we're going to do in the final hour of the show, of course, at 1120 every day, we do Did You Hear This? And we'll definitely be doing that in the final hour of the show. But just after 11 o'clock, we're going to talk about the midterm elections, latest in polling data, concerns for people. Is this going to be a red wave or is this going to be a mixed bag of things? Is one party or the other ahead? And who should be the most concerned? We'll have all of those conversations next.